0: We greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a joy it is to have the opportunity of talking about the Lord and talking about the Word of God. We bring you greetings from believers in many parts of the world where God has given us an amazing opportunity for service to the Lord's people and to missionaries in particular. I've been asked to do a couple of studies on the book of James, chapter 2, the first 13 verses today and next Lord's Day Uh, the rest of the chapter. And so we thank the Lord for this opportunity to uh, study the Word of God together. James is an amazing book that was given to the church early in its history. Um, Maybe not even to the church in its early history, but at least to uh, people who gathered in the name of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to read the 13 verses from uh, chapter 2, so that we can know the background of what it is that God has uh, for us in James chapter 2. Now, James is one of the earliest books written um, to what would become the New Testament canon, and it was preserved by the Holy Spirit, authored by the Holy Spirit, uh, accumulated with other books, and is Significant in that it joins a number of books at the end of our New Testament canon that is written particularly to the Jews. And so it says to us in chapter 2 and verse 1, I'm reading from the King James Version for several reasons, which I will um, make known to you uh, later on in our study. It says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect unto the um, to, to the rich one, let me just check that, uh, have respect uh, to the one that wears the gay clothing, and say unto him, sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, stand thou there, and sit here under my footstool are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts hearken my beloved brethren hath not god chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him but if you have despised the poor do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. And if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, be not Do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful to you again for the opportunity of studying your word. We thank you for this book of James, which is so practical, so profound, so amazing to come early in the history of the gathering of your people in the book of Acts. We pray that as we open our ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church, that we will hear his voice and we will respond to the answers he gives our mind, to the emotions that... He stirs, and to his will that we might be obedient to his truth. Thank you for ministering to us what you have said to James again today. We give you thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The book of James, I'm sure that you've had earlier in your studies in the first chapter, a couple of things that set the stage for what is happening when James is writing this. And so the big question is, Who is it written to? And of course, we are reminded in chapter one, the 12 tribes that are scattered around. But it's interesting because the word assembly is used in chapter two. What does that word mean? Some of the other texts use the word synagogue. So if it's a synagogue, then it would be certainly very early in what we would call the book of Acts. Uh, We can use the word church, but the word assembly is a far better word Because we have the church as a mystery that's not recorded or revealed until uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and 3. Now that's a problem for many, and it is a problem for those who are progressive dispensationalists and say it doesn't make any difference when it was revealed as long as it was revealed. And so not only do we have this question of what does the word assembly mean, or what does the synagogue mean, we know that early in the book of Acts, uh, Peter and Paul, particularly Paul, in his journeys went to the synagogue first and there, taught the word of God, taught the gospel of the grace of God as he was instructed in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That opens a huge point of issue uh, for us today. Because we find even as late as Acts chapter 19, when the gospel came to the church at Ephesus, Paul asked the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And the reason they didn't know that was because the gospel of the kingdom had been preached to the the people in Ephesus. And they believed. They believed in John's baptism. They didn't believe in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Paul came and preached unto them the gospel of the grace of God, it was a dramatic change from the results of the gospel of the kingdom to the results of the gospel of the grace of God. So this book is written to Jews, and there are so many Jewish things in it, we have this reference to the synagogue as opposed to the word assembly referring to a home church or even a gathering of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in some small building. And then we find the word kingdom is used also in chapter 1 in verse 5, the kingdom that was promised. And so even in the book of James, we are reminded that That the promise of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, that which John the Baptist preached and the disciples preached and the Lord Jesus preached was of a kingdom that still was future. And certainly in the book of uh, James, that kingdom is future because uh, even today, the millennial kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is still future. And then it's instructive for us that the word law is used uh, so many times in our text today. Verse 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, the word law is used. And we would not be emphasizing that if this was, say, in the book of Ephesians or Colossians, where the the, uh, mystery of the church was being fully revealed. And so we have this important message that we need to understand, and we call it the sin of partiality, James chapter 2, Verses 1 through 13. I want to look at four things uh, with you. The first is the foundation of the faith that is referred to in chapter 2 and verse 1. And then from verse 2 to 4, we have the failure of the faithful. And then in verses 5 through 11, I call it the felony of the unfaithful faithful. You, we'll try and explain that in a few minutes, but I call it the felony. Of the unfaithful faithful and then the last two verses verses 12 and 13 13 the finality of faith I think it's instructive for us to realize that this is a very practical message to the gathering of people in the um, in the synagogues wherever the 12 tribes were scattered they would have gathered probably because they heard the gospel of the kingdom preached by perhaps the Lord Jesus or his disciples, and maybe even later as Peter and James. But the book of Acts tells us very clearly that the gospel of the kingdom began to be preached in chapter 3 of the book of Acts. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you for the remission of sins. And then it goes on to say that if you do that, then the, the, the Lord God will send uh, his Messiah, and that Messiah will... Uh, be the one who will provide the necessary ingredients for the kingdom to come. But of course, Israel rejected Jesus Christ in the uh, in the Gospels and crucified him. And then in the Book of Acts, they also uh, rejected the risen Messiah. And uh, in Jerusalem, the leaders did, and then in the dispersia, uh, it also took place and persecution was poured out upon those who preached the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of this risen Christ, this risen uh, Jesus. And then the book of Acts ends by Paul in prison at the end of the book of Acts, and he preached the gospel of the kingdom, and he preached the gospel of the grace of God. You'll read that in the last few verses of uh, Acts chapter 28. So what is the foundation of the faith? We hear this verse that finds somewhat of a difficulty just the way the words are used, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ in respect of patient persons. But the emphasis really is, should a person who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation shall they make a distinction? Shall they be partial to some people and not to other people? In the case of our study it's regarding the rich and the poor, but there are so many other ways in which partiality may be manifest, and so we ask the question, is God partial? And the answer is yes and no. The answer is no in the sense that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, has been presented through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ for all of mankind. And so the foundation of faith is in the work of Christ. The expiation of Christ in Second Corinthians 5, I think it's verse 14, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. And so one of the foundation stone, cornerstones of this great doctrine of the faith is that Christ paid the penalty for all. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so as we see that, we understand that Christ's work was uh, all-encompassing and provided the means of salvation to any who would believe. Secondly, we look at Christ's walk or his example, and in Luke chapter 15 and verse 2, he was accused, this man receives sinners and and eats with them. And so the emphasis that was found in Luke's gospel is that the Lord Jesus Christ, by his example, found himself drawn to sinners, uh, whether men or women, Pharisees, Sadducees. He condemned many of them, but he entreated them uh, to believe the message that the Father had given him. We find it also in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 6. We face this problem today with Black Lives Matter. And it's instructive for us that that term is counterproductive because they're not talking about black lives matter. They're talking about black skin matters. And of course, as Paul tells us uh, in the book of Acts, God has made of one blood all nations to dwell upon the face of the earth. And below the skin, there is the same color color. Uh, of flesh and blood and so forth. And then thirdly, Christ's welcome. We look through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we see him remind ourselves and and his disciples that the uh, the blessing of salvation means that everybody can be born again, everybody can be received in John chapter fourteen and verse three. He reminds them that uh, he will come again and receive them unto himself that where i am there you may be also and so those disciples who were listening in the upper room in john chapter 14 they weren't perfected there were still a lot of wrinkles and so forth those kind of things and so he says i will receive you unto myself and then fourthly there is christ's words the expectation that his people Who believe the gospel of the kingdom or who believe the gospel of the grace of God in Romans chapter 15 in verse 7 it says that we are to receive one another as Christ has received us. The magnificent picture that is drawn for us is found in the book of Philemon with Onesimus the thief who ran away perhaps with a gold or a goodly Babylonian garment and rushed himself to Rome and there He found himself, by the guidance of God, looking at the Apostle Paul, and Paul uh, shares the gospel with with Onesimus, and he believes the gospel. And Paul says, I want you to go back to your master. Go back and uh, accept the position wherever he gives you. I am writing a letter to help him understand who you are and what's happened in your life. And in that particular little book, the word receive is found several times which reminds us of the whole thought of an idea of the reception policy. What is our reception policy? How is it that we have the opportunity of receiving one another? And that word one another reminds us that across the board, rich or poor, educated or ignorant, no matter who they are on the a ladder of authority or accomplishment or education, we are to receive one another as Christ received us. That is James' emphasis, and as we look at that, we find the practical exhortation that uh, James gives to the gathering of people in, uh, in, uh, among the Jews, and they are to receive one another as they have been received by Christ. So the foundation of the faith is in Christ's work, in his walk, or his example, in his welcoming the disciples and many others, and of course his words that were expounded by Paul in Romans and in other texts. And secondly, we have the failure of the faithful. I say failure of the faithful because I use the word faithful because I think the reference here is to believers. If you were to read this chapter, these verses very carefully, you'd find that there, are, there is a word little you, ye, in King James, but the word you, or brethren, is used 15 times in 13 verses. Isn't that amazing? He says, you, ye, you, 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 you. He said, I'm talking to you. And, of course, as we learn from the earlier chapter, these people gathered together in the synagogue for some of the same things that we do uh, in the church 2,000 years later, the Apostles' Doctrine. Certainly, they wanted to hear what the Apostles had to say and what they could learn from uh, what the Lord Jesus Christ taught those Apostles. They wanted to have fellowship. I don't think that that description in Acts 2.42 was divinely ordained. I think it was spontaneous. these people trusted Jesus Christ as the Messiah, or they trusted him as the Savior of the world, they said, what shall we do? And they could have the apostles' doctrine, because the apostles were moving around the then known world, and they could have fellowship. The shared meal, the love feast that was a characteristic of the early assemblies. And then, of course, breaking of bread, which would not only be the Lord's Supper, but a shared meal. And then, of course, the prayers that uh, were characteristic of the early group of uh, believers. And so the failure of the faithful, I think he's referring to believers. And, of course, if he was referring to believers in the first century, early in the first century, Certainly he is referring to us, and if we use it in reference to the Jews in the synagogue living somewhat under the law and considering the kingdom that was promised, those of us who believe the gospel of the grace of God and are now meeting as the church, the assembly, gathered out into into a small number for worship, fellowship, and evangelism. So what was the failure of the faithful? I call them faithful just to get an F and to help us understand what it is. And I suggest to you that there are some six or five or six things that characterize these people. It's a terrible indictment. There is an opportunity. A visitor comes to your assembly. That's what he's saying. In fact, two of them come. One comes with a gold ring, and fine raiment. The other one comes with, with uh, poor raiment and uh, obviously uh, isn't uh, isn't wealthy. And so a visitor, a stranger person comes. Now we need to make it as easy as possible for someone to be brought in on that Saturday at, at uh, the synagogue or on that Sunday as is the case with us. Uh, your building has two profound b- blockages. One is in the front of the um, uh, the back of the auditorium are all those stairs. When somebody is let off at that door, those stairs create a wall, making it difficult for them to go up unless there's somebody at the bottom of the stairs that would help them up. And then, if they come in the back door because they see you come in the back door, would a visitor know how to get through the labyrinth of ups and down stairs and come? Again, to the uh, back of the auditorium downstairs and up the stairs. You see, not every building is commensurate with a warm invitation. And so a visitor comes. I can tell you, if somebody comes to visit your assembly, because that's what James says, then we need to provide the best and most careful and comfortable uh, capacity so that that person is not alarmed, that person is not uh, fearful, that person's thoughts and questions can be relieved. Uh, because we are recommended from Woodside Chapel in Fanwood across the, uh, the, the city from you, you must know that George Dick did an amazing opportunity, amazing responsibility. He was there when people came into that foyer. He was there, extending his hand, welcoming them, getting their name, maybe even getting their address, and then making sure that they were seated in a place. I saw him on many occasions seat him next to somebody that was there, and he had chosen in his mind who would be a good person to introduce this stranger to Woodside Chapel and to the assembly meeting there. And George Dick, I marveled at the capacities and abilities that he Uh, carried out in the function that was given to him as a, I guess you call it an uh, an usher. Many other denominations have ushers. Uh, We have sort of let that go. But here is a choice or a decision that was made by an an usher in a synagogue of a gathering of people of the nation of Israel scattered throughout, as Peter says, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So the opportunity is there. And a visitor comes. When a visitor comes, he wants to know are they going to look after me? Are they going to love me? Are they going to receive me just the way I am? And then secondly, there's not only opportunity, but there's the observation, the view of the outward appearance. Fancy clothes, nice suit, expensive silk, whatever it is. It's easy to look on it outwardly and condemn one to a an unimportant seat, and invite the other one. And then thirdly, there's an obsession. This is something that is characteristic of all of us. I make this obsession because we are divided in our world by between rich and poor. We make that decision in several different areas. But God is saying to us, this responsibility is to you as believers. And then fourthly, there is an operation. You know, the words to be that are found in verse 5 are in italics or they're missing in the King James or they're in some other translations or paraphrases and there's no italics. So if we look at verse 5, this is, this is what it says in verse 5 so that we understand. It says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? When you look at some of the other paraphrases and translations, you find the addition of two words. Sometimes in some translations, it's in italics, to say that it was added by the translators, and it seems to suggest by those kinds of translation that he's chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. I think that is totally inconsistent with the overall plan of God wanting to Help us understand everybody can come that whosoever will. And then, of course, there is the offense. What is the offense? The violence of this decision, taking the person who looks like he's rich and giving him a prominent seat in the synagogue and the other man, perhaps even a brother, and given a place of uh, lack of distinguished position. It does violence to the Lord who received us all it does violence to the law because the law said he said to us very carefully love your neighbor and it does violence to the word love because we're to love our neighbor as ourself and it does violence to the light of the gospel which is shined into our heart now thirdly there's the felony of the unfaithful faithful <laughs> in verses 5 through 11 And I call them the unfaithful faithful because we have several indications that that is the case. Think of the children of Israel who believed in a God who could take them out of Egypt, but didn't believe the same God could take them into the land of Canaan. They were unbelieving believers. They were believing that God could do miracles, wondrous things, and bring them in, defeating the Anakim and the uh, Parasite, the Amazizah, all the others, but they didn't believe. They were unbelieving believers. And so we can characterize these people as unfaithful, faithful. Faithful in the sense that they believed the gospel of the kingdom or the gospel of the grace of God, but unfaithful because they judged. And so I have five words that help us understand this is a serious, serious failure. This is, I call, a felony. So sad, is it? That the usher who comes in would say to the rich, you take an important seat here, and to the poor, you sit back here in the back. My brothers and sisters, as he said, my dearly beloved, that's not good. It's a serious felony. It is also significant because the usher represents the assembly. What he says is the first impression if the visitor comes in and understands and sees that. I said, oh. That's what this assembly believes, because the usher is a very, very important person. And so it's a significant decision, according to verse 7. And then it's a simple thing. (laughs) How many times does the Lord Jesus repeat for us, love your neighbor as yourself? You know how much you love you. It's not telling you you need to love yourself. It's saying you do love yourself. And because you love yourself, you should love your neighbor, rich or poor educated or ignorant. That's a serious thing. And then thirdly, fourthly, it's sinful. It's called a transgression. The word transgression, of course, relates to the law. And because it relates to the law, that's why it's here in the book of James, because the law is spoken of eight times, five times right here in our text. It is systematic. We see it in so many areas of our life. And lastly, it's systemic. It's because we have a sin nature. It takes place in business. You see some wealthy person come in, and what are you going to do? He's going to make a big sale, and he's going to buy a bunch. But the poor man comes in, and he we say, well, you know, he probably won't buy anything. So it happens in business, it happens in society, it happens in religion, it happens in politics. We have a sin nature, and that sin nature says, encourage, enjoy, appreciate, lift up the rich and the poor, let them go. And so we see that. And finally, in verses 12 and 13, we have the finality of faith, two amazing points that helps us understand that. Speak with liberty, judge with mercy. Those two things, one comes from chapter 1 and verse 25. Speak with liberty, the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free, free from this partiality, free from this sin, free to demonstrate our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and our faith in Jesus Christ, but also the clear evidence that the life also of Jesus is manifested in our mortal flesh. What a wonderful challenge. That's painful, isn't it? We think it's serious, it's significant, it's simple, it's sinful, it's systematic, and it's systemic. This is what James is saying. And we as assemblies, we as gatherings of the Lord's people for worship, fellowship, and evangelism, need to take this to heart. This wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. We're not a part of the 12 tribes scattered about in the dispersion, but we are believers in Jesus Christ. We have believed the gospel of the grace of God, and we are to manifest and reflect and radiate the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says to us through the pen of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15 Receive one another as God, for Christ's sake, has received you. He has received me. What a blessing to know that I can't earn it with my money. And if I was poor and didn't have anything, I still would not be able to uh, accomplish what's necessary by this world to be received by the Lord Jesus Christ. But, as the song says, Christ receiveth sinful men. And because we are sinful men, we are Uh, We are do not deserve we have not uh, Received that reception because of what we do or what we say It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for all of us and that work is finished and Completed he walked as an example of receiving sinners and prostitutes Into the exchange of truth. He welcomed the believers who knew and loved the Lord Jesus Christ, but were far from perfect. And the words of expectation that strangers can come to the assembly of God's people, can come to the synagogue and know that somebody will come and say, Welcome, we're glad you're here. God loves you, and we love you too. And so read over these verses again, and next Lord's Day we will look at the evidence of another issue That's found in chapter 2, verse 14, uh, through the end of the chapter. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for all that you've given to us, for the many blessings that are ours because of Christ. We know that we are tempted to be given to partiality. We're tempted to enjoy the rich and disdain the poor. We thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ said he came into this world And he became poor that we through his poverty might be rich. We remind ourselves that if we were to encourage people to be poor like the Lord Jesus was poor, not many would come. So we have preached a gospel that is inconsistent with the reception policy the Lord Jesus Christ has established. We don't want to be found guilty of this sin of partiality. May we radiate and may we reflect the graces of Christ, that we love those that love the Lord Jesus Christ, that the joy of the Lord is our strength, and the peace of God that passes all understanding is manifested in our lives, and people want to be with us because we are with Christ. Thank you again for speaking to us as you said you would do through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you very much. Enjoy the week and enjoy the word of God.